really is money lit. You don't need binoculars to see the light coming through the dome like a binoculars. The common bitches be savages with no history or accomplishments or knowledge of ourselves. They did a job on us. Considering the predictions of economists, machines are doing jobs for us. The future for the working class is ominous. They got us indoctrinated to what bitches prove. A religion mixed with abuse. Emotional, we sit in pews. It's physical, we get the noose and hang ourselves. Refusing to name ourselves. Refusing to change ourselves. When I'm talking about a passing, you just rang a bell. They make me hate yourself and take efforts to check the method to take you from your family and kids. Hello. Welcome. Season two, Black Factivism. I am your host, Corey McCarthy. Um, it's been a while. I'm back. Um, you know, my, my co-host is not here today, but I will say that, um, you know, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very um, tough show to do today. Um, you know, it's a, we are in a, a very tough situation nationally. I think 2022 has been a very, very tough year uh, for, for black people, black children, um, people of color in general. Um, I think everybody struggled, you know, uh, but we're, when we're talking about education and, and you know, I'm, I, this is a, this is an urban education show um, and white, black, green, turquoise, you were in, if you're in urban education, you know, the, the symptoms are still the same. Um, the poison is still there. And, um, some of us don't have the ability to pivot away from urban districts that struggle. Some of us don't have that ability, that capacity. So then we're left, we, we're predominantly dealing with black and brown students. So the, the, the key piece about today's show is, you know, why can't black scholars have nice things? I want you to think about that. Why just, why can't we have nice things? Why can't your son, my son, why can't we have nice things? I am, I have, it's a state of emergency for black children attending urban districts. I am sounding the alarm. It is full panic. Um, what is happening in our schools right now um, is causing generational harm to our children. Um, we are in a place where the decision makers are not connected to the community and they, they don't they're lacking something that i call community competence the ability to understand the people you serve the community you serve and you can't serve a community without knowing what's happening in the community because if i see a school and i look around the school and i see a football field at one end of the school and i look out the window i see two liquor stores then i see a church but then I see like that hot corner where people are pushing weight. So that is that is sounding the the the, the community person that has that community competence in me is going to say I need more, I need to deliver more, I need to get into houses, I need to have PM conversations with with families, I need to do some I need to I need to have a longer school day, 
I need to wear students out with knowledge, um, with opportunity, with access. You know, I went to a school to visit a young black boy. He hardly comes to school. He agreed to come to school to meet me and a colleague of mine. Um, he's a hustler, right? Like he's a hustler. You know, he comes to school to, to you know, he shows up when he's there to hustle. By the time I got to the space where we were able to meet with this gentleman to really kick it about life, right? Nothing about like, hey, why don't you come to school? But we'd really kick it about life and community. By the time he walked in the room and I followed him into the space, I was already approached three or four times about why am I meeting with this kid? Or some sort of deficit language around that kid. I sit down and I meet with this young brother and you know, he tells me that he is just him and his mom loves his mom. You know, we love the moms. Um, and I'm trying to break I'm trying to tell him about me and convince him that I'm not a cop. And eventually that ice broke. You know what we're talking about when that ice breaks. And um, I say to him, hey, brother, um, you know, what are you doing with all this money? He's like, yo, you know what? I just, I just engineer. I just engineer songs for people and I sell it to them. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, yo, I prepare, I, I've created, I got egg crates, the whole nine. I have a studio. I built a studio in my house. I said, brother, how old are you? He said, 16. He built a studio in his house. You know? And he sells the beats and I said to him, listen, man, are you willing to teach some younger kids about this? Are you willing to teach some middle schoolers how to become you? How to make money off the rap game? How to make money off the music game? I look at that young man, and I didn't even see a student. I saw an engineer. He was an engineer, self-taught. And I said to him, hey, man, if I if I go above and beyond to try to get you a business class so you don't have to owe anybody any money, so you can understand how to promote yourself, how to count your money, how to invest, how, could, how to develop a portfolio, would you do it? He was like, I come every day. Every day. So we're still kicking it, and he... He said, hey, man, I, I, I really want to work with those kids. But would I, how I really make money, will that affect it? And I said to him, we all got some choices, but I'm here for whatever choice you have or want to make. And then I said to him, hey, would you mind? telling me about yourself for 30 seconds 
on a video so I could show people your genius, your excellence, your entrepreneurship. And it was incredible. But all I could think about is what I heard, the pre-work to approaching that young man. And the pre-work happens to all of us. People have to prepare, whether it's negatively or positively, for us. And that is, that is a hard thing to do or to have to deal with. So people prepped me. It's all over the country. In urban districts, people are prepping other people to prepare their deficit language to talk to our kids. Man, how do we get here? Why can't our children have nice things? When developers look around places that they want to, these neighborhood developers, when they want to build something somewhere, they look at their neighborhood assets. Why can't we do the same thing for children? I am really struggling with urban districts right now. For years, my years and my 22 years in education, we've always been asking for money. I wish we had this money. I wish we had that much. I would do this. I would do that. You do the, you use your Googles and find out how much unused ESSER funds urban districts have right now. So you mean to tell me that there's money and we don't know how to spend it on these black children? On these brown children? Because everything I do, I I do it with black children in mind. With 14-year-old me in mind. With brown children in mind. I do it with children in mind. So asking me how to spend ESSER funds is easy. But the question around black children has become and has reached epidemic status. Black people are the face of poverty for some strange reason. They're the face of drugs for some strange reason. The face of crime. The face of special ed referrals and suspensions. The poster children for jail. Yet, when you look at the national statistics, they're not the leader in any of that. But that sort of context is being dispersed into schools. Those misleading categorical variables are being dispersed into schools. We are telling Black children that they cannot make a bad decision. 
they don't get to respond to a poor decision. No matter how small it is, whether you stole some candy or stole a cookie from the lunchroom to fighting in the building. It's like the old saying, like, hey, oh, man, you walk in, you visit a, a classroom, and the classroom's so quiet. I hate quiet classrooms. But quiet classrooms only matter in spaces where black and brown children are because it's a controlling mechanism for us in education to say, hey, this is a good school. The controller of black and oftentimes brown children. If you want to fix urban America, urban education, you better start with black children. All of the successful districts, there's some districts in Washington state, DCPS, shout out to y'all. Y'all are climbing. Y'all are thriving because you guys are naming and identifying and root causing and responding And most importantly, they want to see our children win. So when I see people making these macroscopic decisions that are not rooted, rooted in winning for our children, especially black children, I get pissed off. I got a black son. Everything that we do must keep those children in mind. So when we are looking to improve things, to find out and assess what the root cause is in your district, look at what you are not doing for Black children. Look at the reading, the math literacy, the gap and, and how large it has grown. How can you, in spaces where the educators and the staff is predominantly white, feel comfortable making these decisions for black children all the time? And on the flip side, how are you, within good conscience, able to question black leaders who are making those decisions? And how are districts recycling and hiring racist people with lawsuits and this, all that stuff to, to be in front and make decisions for these kids without any community com um, competence, without any firm understanding of how health Poverty and trauma can impact kids. We have to look at how how we see ourselves as educa educators, how we could become that learning facilitator in the classroom and outside the classroom. How can we bring the children 
black children, especially back to the classroom. Many times they're physically there. But how can we make them feel like they are more than their scores? How could we mine down other ways for them to be co-authors of their own growth? How can we create environments where these students don't have to wait to get permission to meet a standard? How are you not that much embedded in the needs of Black students where you don't where you don't feel good or you don't want to advocate for them enough to change the very standards upon which they are judged the standards aren't for black children aren't for brown brown, brown children but we're focusing on black children If you had any community competence, you will know where there are areas that they thrive, how to solve problems. At a young age, we know how to solve problems. They know how to solve problems. Instead of making them the problem, let's try to solve problems. They know how to identify, right? What is the problem? And, and they know how to justify and identify the evidence, the how piece. And when we're in spaces, when they're in spaces where they're making friends and they're, and they're feeling smart together, they're so eager to teach each other. Are we, do we have opportunities where, where these kids could teach each other? And can they look at our content and say, hey, can we let's analyze this? Let's reflect, let's refine. Let's bring them into the mix. Bring them into the instruction and ask them, ask them to be one third of the instructional leadership that they need in the classrooms. Remember show and tell? You know? We want, we want our kids to, to see how rich it is to be teachers and leaders. The first opportunity they get to be a teacher is show and tell. When we talk about higher order, okay, show and tell. Show, tell, create. Create, show, tell, reflect. As you get older, state your claim. Where's your evidence? Give us your reasoning. Do not withhold high impact language away from kids. From kids. Oh, they're not going to understand. Shoot. Put it in the spelling bee. Peer-to-peer -peer teaching can serve as one of your mediating tools in the classroom. And it's incredibly impactful with, with black kids because all they want to do 
is feel smart in a room where their educator does not oftentimes look like them. They just want to feel smart. And they just want their intelligence to be affirmed. And if we don't have plans and if we don't have a vision and we don't have a counter, if we don't have a toolbox, if we don't arm teachers with the best things for our children, they're going to continue to re- be relo- below reading level. I will say this three times. Children can't read. Black children are struggling to read. Black children are struggling to read. Black children are struggling to read. There is nothing more disheartening than that statement. So as we look at where are we going to put the money, we got to pour more money into the educators. We got to pour more money into structures that hire the right educators to be in front of black children. Or we got to pour the money into people who are willing to do the necessary work to help these children grow. I'm not, we're not here to judge parents. We're not here to judge the shortcomings. We're not here to make excuses. We're here. If you walk in these doors, I am obligated from the custodian to the principal, I am obligated to give you the best education possible while highlighting the best things that you can bring to the table, while identifying what our school as a whole needs, how I can lead you, have your families advocate for me in spaces where I am not, here to build culture. We have to look at the best things, the best educators, and And if we're going to up the standards for students to be successful, let's up the standards as adults. And we also need to stop othering the true needs of our kids. You hate hearing. I mean, this this goes for Black people. They hate hearing about culturally responsive teaching. And now we have these districts because in the age of anti-racism, they're like, well, we just need culturally relevant teaching, culturally responsive teaching. And then you have the detractors that are saying, hey, this is unproven. I mean, so it's project-based learning. Project-based learning, however, helps a lot of the CTE students be successful long-term. 
but you can't really point to what specific about project-based learning does that. So why are you going to go into other culturally responsive teaching and learning? Culturally responsive teaching and learning and social-emotional learning, we have to take, we have, we have to take those two variables and put them into context and, and make sure it is in the fabric of our schools. We can't other those things. Social emotional learning is not a specific strategy. It is an approach. If you're, it, it, it could be strategic in a way, but it has to be accessible to students in every single part of their education. where students are valued, affirmed, and have a positive response to poor decision-making, where they want to learn as opposed to shutting down. That's what good social-emotional learning does. It makes them feel like this is cool, this classroom, this space with you, is the safest place on earth. Culturally responsive teaching says, hey, let me learn you and learn from you so I can show you the easiest way to use what you know how to do in your world. That way you can own the learning and the teachings that your family from Brazil, Barbados, wherever, brought to the table. It is just affirming that you have walked into the classroom with some content already, something rich. So there's no time for a pity party. Black children need literacy tools. They don't need pity. They need empathy and they need educators of color, strong educators of color. We need good, black, strong black educators who don't price themselves out of the system or oftentimes letting the system promote them out of the system. And oftentimes they leave because that belonging is not there for them and that burden is so heavy. The amount of times I've walked and said to myself, let me check on this black child. I can check on this kid. And then I end up checking on all of them. You know, why can't our black scholars have the best things? I mean, as we unpack, what does the best things look like? Right? Let's start with a couple of things. How about speaking their success into existence? I had a kid, students, hey, if you know me and you I've been your educator, I've called you some nickname that that was that was led to that led you to that led students to be 
to want to go to college or something be successful. There are kids that I call Bentley University, Bentley. From the time I met them in, in, in eighth grade, seventh grade, some kids I called Harvard, some kids I called UMass. You know, another kid I called him great for his entire high school career. And one time at his graduation, he called himself great and he felt so proud. And he said it was the first time anybody ever made him feel or identified what the feeling is to be great. We have to speak the success of our students into existence. Because after a while, they start listening and they start looking and they start digging. Same kid I called Bentley was like, hey, I ain't going there. That cost me $78,000. But I said, brother, you are the scholarship. You are free. Another piece is whatever you felt middle schools needed before elementary, like before, like whatever you used to feel, whatever the, the, the educational spaces used to tell us, oh, you can't do this until middle school. No, whatever they needed in middle school before, they needed to give it to them in elementary. 3D printing, a little bit of algebra, simplified, and whatever they needed in high school before, give it to them in middle school now. Helping students unpack social justice and global learning. Developing community schools. And community schools is something that we're going to touch on in another show. But imagine that your, 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 your child could come to, come to a, a community school and get um, meet with a school psychologist, get a dental checkup and a vision, eye and ear vision care within a space that's familiar to them, a space that they could go that they could go to after school and stay all the way to 7 p.m. with a high-quality partner, whether it's a hospital or a YMCA or a mental health space. Community schools. And we need to rebrand what it is to be a school leader. It's not the head of the table anymore. It is the facilitator of the consensus of the community, of the staff, of the children, of the parents. That person, that leader is the facilitator of the conscience and the consensus of the community. One hand washes the other. Once you get in these spaces where the community doesn't trust the educators and educators don't trust the community. The kids lose every time. We also need an MTSS framework that is driven by student support models. Evaluate your, your meetings. Look at what your data says, but don't stray too far and too deep into the data unless you're able to talk about students. Don't talk about students as numbers. Talk about students and their humanity. Use your own humanity to talk about students. Because that way, you can share your best practices. Well, Corey, Corey don't like wearing his hood in the morning because he's, you know. But Corey likes wearing his hood at the end of the day because his hair is messed up. Hair, hair in the black community is, is, is a thing. You know it's a thing because some people like trying to touch it. 
there's a lot of social capital between in the black community around here, around a lineup, around edges. The the symbolism of the Afro. It means independence and liberation. This is the community competence that we are talking about when it comes to our black students wanting to have nice things, deserving nice things. We need growth language and not compliance language. Black students are in special ed left and right, being referred left and right, up and down. But when it comes to special ed, we're only talking about compliance and not high impact strategies. Intensified skill work. High quality progress monitoring. I think we have to identify for black children what the true evidence and of success looks like. We have to redefine what success for these students are. Because only the foolish and the dead are two kinds of people who are not willing to change. And there's these districts who hide things from the community. And I encourage parents, I encourage teachers to, to get parents and families on board with what students truly need beyond the classroom. Teachers cannot solve all their problems. The people who call the shots are making decisions so far away from these black children, so far away from these newcomers, so far away from these multilingual students, so far away from these, from these white students who benefit from the culture, who grow to become more cultured and acceptive of so many different diasporas. That's the benefit, that's the key. But can we hold districts accountable to making sure that our students get everything they need and have nice things? Are they putting their friends in? Or are they putting the best uh, or world-class talent in front of our students? We need qualified staff with growth mindsets, community competence, and a consciousness that our children will believe in. Because when that is, is working, 
Students don't want to disappoint your expectations. And as they get older, they own the expectation. And when they get even older, they, they raise the bar. So when you think about working in an environment where Black students don't feel like the most important thing, you have to evaluate. You have to say, hey, how are my morals and values impacting this children's this this child's life? It's important. And to quote Pedro Nogara, we jail who we fail to educate. And currently we're not educating our, our children. We're not putting the right people in front of them. We're not training the people who aren't the right people to become those people. And we have to hold, hold district leaders accountable, school leaders accountable, teachers accountable, staff accountable, community accountable. I want to close with this, sharing this book by the author Rhonda Broussard. One Good Question is the title, How Countries Prepare Our Youth to Lead. It's a high quality book. Um, you know, Rhonda, she is an ed educational entrepreneur. Um, she's incredible. Um, I want you to get this book. I hope you can see it. Thank you for joining me tonight. Um, you know, all of, our, all of our shows will be available on YouTube. Um, It'll be on Spotify, Apple podcast. You know, I want you to take and evaluate and then take again and then evaluate again how decisions and efforts are made to ensure that black children read and succeed. Thank you.